You're listening to CNN Town Halls and Debates, your direct source to the people shaping your world. It's a forum for you to get answers to the tough questions and better understand the issues that matter to you. We're bringing this episode to you uncut and unfiltered, straight from the national stage. And it all starts right here, right now on CNN. Good evening to you from the CNN Center in Atlanta. Welcome to CNN's Democratic Presidential Town Hall event. I'm Jim Schuto. Now it is Congressman Eric Swalwell's turn. California Democrat, he kicked off his run near Parkland, Florida. Why is that? Because he vowed to make gun control a central focus of his campaign. That, of course, an issue very much in the news this weekend. 38-year-old Swalwell would be the youngest president ever elected in this country. And tonight he's going to be taking questions from Democrats and independents who say that they plan to participate in the Democratic primaries and caucuses coming up next year. Please give a warm welcome to Congressman Eric Swalwell. Hey, sir. How are you? Good. 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 How are you doing? Thank you. Thank you. Have a seat. Congressman, thanks so much for joining of course, us tonight. Of course, thank you. Um, of course, we had news this yeah. weekend of yeah. yet another shooting in America, Virginia Beach. Uh, Twelve killed, four people still injured, uh, recovering from their injuries. The deadliest in the country in the year 2019. Yeah. You're, of course, wearing a ribbon tonight, which yeah. commemorates and intended to draw attention to gun violence. And you also said that you were, interestingly, recording a video about gun violence as this news broke. I was. I want to ask you this because... Folks in the audience here, they've heard politicians talk about gun violence before. Why are you the person who's actually going to make a difference as president? Well, thank you, Jim, uh, for convening this. Thank you, CNN. Thank you to the people of Atlanta. Uh, for me, uh, it's a very personal issue uh, when it comes to gun violence. Uh, and I first just want to say my heart breaks, as all, I know all of yours does, for the victims in Virginia. When you look at those pictures, right, black, white, young, old, it looks like America. For me, it's personal because I worked as a prosecutor in Oakland and I saw shootings in the streets. I'm a father who's sending my son to school for his first day tomorrow at preschool. And my wife and I, we worry about whether he's going to come home. But also, I went to Congress when Sandy Hook happened. That was my coming to Congress moment. And I just happened to believe we love our kids more than we love our guns and that we can do something. We do want to stay on the issue of guns. A lot of folks in the audience have been very interested in this. Uh, we'll start with Jason Poe. He has a question on that topic. He works as an environmental specialist for the General Services Administration. Jason. Good Hi, Jason. Uh, hello, how's it going? Uh, good. good evening. Happy to be here participating in some democracy tonight. Yeah. Uh, my question is about the gun, yeah. uh, gun debate. And, yeah. um, so do you think that you can win in places like the South and Midwest uh, leading your campaign on the gun question. And what do you tell those constituents in those areas that you're not out to, quote, take their guns? Yeah. Uh, thank you, Jason. I tell them, keep your pistols, keep your rifles, keep your shotguns. But we can ban and buy back the most dangerous weapons. And there's a new gun safety majority in America, and it's time that we lean in and negotiate up. So here's what we can do. Uh, and again, I'm informed by this as working as a prosecutor. I've seen the shootings in our communities. I've seen 
the fear that parents have for their kids. But I've also gotten frustrated in Congress. When I went to Congress, Sandy Hook happened. Then there was nothing. Then Charleston, nothing. San Bernardino, nothing. Orlando, Las Vegas, Sutherland Springs, nothing, nothing, nothing. There's this ritual. Grief, anger, moments of silence is an alibi for doing nothing. Tonight, I brought as my guest Tamar Manasseh from the south side of Chicago. She's doing something. Block by block, she's bringing people together so that the kids can have education and hope where there's no hope. We need a lot more Tamars across America to invest in every community, not just the ones that have school shootings and have church shootings. But something happened after Parkland that inspired me that I could do something and lead on this issue. Out of unimaginable grief, the students and the parents picked themselves up and they organized. And they marched. And you told them you had their back. And they beat 17 NRA-endorsed members of Congress. We did that. So as president, as president, I'm not going to negotiate down anymore. I'm going to go shade up. So yes, we'll pass background checks. We already did that in the House. I'll come here to Georgia. You'll get sick and tired of me because I'm going to help you elect a senator so we can pass it in the Senate. I'm the only candidate calling for a ban and buyback on every single assault weapon. But I also believe that's investing in jobs and education block by block. But here's the question we face. I was in Philadelphia a couple weeks ago talking to a trauma counselor named Scott Charles. He said he's counseled thousands of gun violence victims at Temple Hospital in Philly. And I said, Mr. Charles, what is one thing you would do if you could do anything to save more lives? He said, oh, I already know the answer to it. We're working on it right now. We're trying to put block by block different tourniquets at the Chinese walk-up restaurants, at the liquor stores, so we can suppress the wounds faster and people can live longer. It wasn't a failure of imagination to do something bigger. He just thinks there's a failure of courage in Washington to do so. So the question is, do we want to stop the bleeding or do we want to stop the shootings? I'm running for president to stop the shootings. If, if I can, because of course you mentioned, you mentioned your plan for a mandatory buyback yeah. of assault weapons, weapons of war, as you call them. Uh, you told my colleague Jake Tapper that yeah. you'd be willing to support criminal prosecution of people who don't follow if that, that requirement, if it were to become law. So, so under President Swalwell, you are saying yeah. that some Americans would indeed have to give up their guns. Yeah, and I'm proposing something that Australia did, you know, in the 90s. And they haven't had a serious shooting since the dozens of people who were lost then. <laughs> New Zealand... New Zealand was still mourning their dead, and they passed an assault weapons ban. So my ban would you know, buy back assault weapons. There's about 15 million of them. If you want to still possess them and not sell them back, you can keep them at a hunting club or a shooting range. I just don't think they belong in our churches, our theaters, you know, at our shopping centers, at our concerts anymore. And people would and go people to jail if they didn't, if they didn't like hand any, those back. We're not going to send cops you know, <laughs> you know, house to house, but like any other contraband, if you have it and you're... You know, not supposed to. Yeah, you would go to jail. Okay, let's go back to the audience now. Let's bring in Irene Kamara. She's the assistant secretary with the NAACP here in Atlanta. Yes. Irene. Yes. Yeah. Good evening, uh, Hi, Representative Swalwell. Given all of the um, references in the Mueller report regarding the obstruction yeah. done by uh, the White House, what is your line in the sand regarding the impeachment of Trump? Yeah. 
Well, thank you, Irene, for the work you do uh, in this historic city uh, for civil rights. The way I approach this as a, a prosecutor is that the rule of law is everything in America. It's the key ingredient. Without it, we lose free speech, free press, free markets, a freedom to dream. We have a lawless president. First things first, I think we should move immediately to impeach the Attorney General and Secretary Mnuchin. They're front door obstructors. I'm on the Judiciary Committee as well. And on the Judiciary Committee, I'm the only candidate in this race who would actually have to prosecute this case. So when I would go to court, I'd make sure my subpoenas were ready, my pencils were sharpened, my exhibits were ready to be displayed. We have to get ready for impeachment with this president. And here's why. And I think about it the way I'm raising my two-year-old right now in our seven-month-old. We're doing the one-two-three method. You count to three when your son's bad, take a toy away. If you don't, he's going to get worse. With this president, he has to see consequences. He's a really bad kid. But the other, the other thing, Irene, the other thing, Irene, is that the other part of this is I think of my daughter who's looking at how I discipline my son, and if I do nothing, the standard of conduct is lower. So future presidents will look at doing nothing as lowering the standard of conduct. Let's impeach Barr and Mnuchin, and let's get ready for impeachment of this president because he's put us in no other position. Okay. You say, yeah. you say, let's get ready for impeachment, yeah. but you've not come out publicly to say that the Congress should begin impeachment proceedings. Short time ago, your, your colleague, Tim Ryan, made yeah. news on CNN saying that he now is joining the call uh, yeah. of, uh, I believe it's now 11 yep. Democratic candidates in 2020. Uh, 76% of Democrats yeah. in a latest CNN poll, they support yeah. impeaching the president. Yeah. Will you take that step? And if not, why yeah. not when you have virtually eight yeah. and ten Democrats supporting that yeah. move. I don't think anyone's going to question my vigor in holding mm -hmm. this president accountable. You know, I, I think the work that we did in the first two years mm -hmm. when our democracy was under attack, when I was on the Intelligence Committee, you know, wanted people to care so we could get a majority to put this balance of power on abuses of power. But again, as someone who, re who really respects the rule of law, I want us to get it right because we only get one shot. But again, that's where we're headed. I want to be backed into it, showing that we've exhausted every other remedy and have the American people with us. I think that's where we are right now. I'm ready to try this case. Again, I think you have to make an example out of Mnuchin and Barr first, though. You can't let them off the hook. All right, let's, let's go back. Yeah. We'll, we'll go back to the audience. I want to bring in Melissa Labate. She's a homemaker and is planning to re-enter the workforce uh, soon. Melissa? Thank you, and thank you for being I'm here. Um, the current administration has left us wide open to hostile foreign attacks, meaning cyber attacks and even cyber terrorism, yeah. threatening our security. In your first 100 days, what will you do to fight back at Russia's success in weakening America, other democratic institutions, and key alliances such as NATO? And obviously this includes other um, foreign countries such as China. Yeah, yeah. well, thank you uh, for your question. Thanks for caring about our democracy. People get sick and tired around the country uh, when they hear you know, pundits in Washington saying that anyone outside Washington doesn't care about what the Russians did. I know you care about what they did to our democracy. So day one, I will stand up to Vladimir Putin. I will put back in place sanctions until the behavior changes. I will go on a global affirmation tour. So I'm going to take the oath and catch a plane. I'm going to go around the world to assure our allies 
we're still with them. I'm going to assemble the best and brightest cyber warriors in our country. I think there are a lot of people who want to serve the federal government, but they don't necessarily want to do a lifetime of service. And so we can have like a cybersecurity national guard to defend against what the Russians are doing. But your real question, I think, goes to how can we defeat Russia and other threats in the world when we've alienated ourselves? And when I look at foreign policy today, I look at it the same way a parent looks at their child on the playground. In the last couple years, your kid has gone from hanging out with the honor roll crew, the Brits and the French and the Australians, to today, we roll with the detention crew. The Russians, the North Koreans, the Saudis. And what it costs us is we've ripped up treaties, we've pulled ourselves out of the Paris Climate Accord, and we can't necessarily count on, on NATO because the president diminishes their role. I'm going to help us get our friends back. I've been on the Intelligence Committee. I've met with foreign leaders. I've gone to war zones. I know the cost of not having friends, and I know the benefit to our country. We'll spend less on defense when we get them back. Everybody, Congressman, stay with us. Everybody stay with us. We're going to be right back with more from Congressman Eric Swalwell. After the break, more from CNN town halls and debates. Stay tuned. A very warm welcome back to you, CNN Democratic Presidential Town Hall. We're live with Congressman Eric Swalwell uh, of California. Uh, so, Congressman Swallow, you and I have talked about this yeah. a few times. You were born in Iowa, yeah. conservative upbringing. Yeah. Both your parents are Republicans, as well as two of your brothers. Yeah. What's, what's, <laughs> what's Thanksgiving dinner like in the Swallow? <laughs> well, I don't even know if they're watching tonight. They might be watching a different uh, news network. That's, That's why sometimes I have to go on there yeah. just so they can see me uh, on TV. Uh, but you know what? Uh, my parents, you know, they're Reagan Republicans. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they want Taxes low. They want us to be strong in the world. And I, I think I can appeal to a lot of people like that when you talk about what this $1.6 trillion tax cut has done you know, to our deficit, what our strength in the world is when we draw ourselves closer to Russia, who Ronald Reagan worked to you know, defeat during the Cold War, uh, rather than our traditional allies. My wife was also, she's from Indiana. Mm-hmm. I was educated in the South. I'm elected in a diverse part of California. I can add states in the general election. Okay. Uh, let's go back to the audience now. Uh, we're joining, joined now by Jeff Todd. He works for the Georgia Department of Public Health. Jeff, what's on your mind today? Good evening. Hey, Jeff. And Swalwell. Um, you have spoken about your family being uh, yeah. police officers. Yeah. And my question is, how would you address uh, these incidents that we're seeing of overt aggression, yeah. hostility, and bigotry by certain police officers that are tarnishing the reputation of those who serve honorably, as well as uh, build the uh, trust of these communities who are experiencing it. Yeah. Well, thank you for your question. Uh, First, thank you to any law enforcement officer, you know, who's serving. I I know as the brother of two police officers and the son of a police officer, you know, the sacrifice uh, that they make. And I, I think about their safety every day, and I tell them my proposals on gun violence are in part to make them safe. But I also recognize the experience in America, especially uh, for young black men, uh, and the fear that they have of police because of abuses you know, against that community. And I have a perspective, I think, that you know, can reverse that, uh, working with others to re- reverse that. Uh, first, here's what I would do. Here's what we can do as a country. When it comes to community-oriented police grants, COPS grants, 
I would only allow those grants to be dispersed to communities if their officers wear body cameras. This is for their safety and community accountability. Second, I would only give those grants out if the departments looked like the communities they patrol. I think that's really, really important. I, I'm, just, I'm just, you know, convinced that we have to address, you know, racial injustice in this country. I saw it on the front lines as a prosecutor. I still see it today. That also means sentencing reform and decriminalizing marijuana. And investing block by block in communities that are too often forgotten. They don't need a crime bill. They need a hope bill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's go down to Taylor Manhart. She's a veterinary assistant. Taylor. Hi, Taylor. Hi, Congressman. How are you? Thank Good. you for being here. Um, I, as well as many other Americans, believe that health care is a right and not a privilege. Do you support Medicare for all? Um, and if not, what are your plans to combat the outrageous rising cost of health care and prescription drugs so that Americans like myself can live without fear of not yeah. being able to receive the health care that they need? Yeah. Thank you, Taylor, for your question. Just, just by a show of hands, who else agrees with Taylor that prescription drugs cost so much and health care is eating up your paycheck? You, you express a, a real life concern that's only getting worse. I support Medicare for anyone who wants it. And, I'm of a, and part of the reason I'm running for Congress, running for president now, ran for Congress, was because I see that these health care costs keep going up and up and up and that the cost of prescription drugs for our two-year-old keep going up and up and up. We stand in line. We see the anxiety it brings to other families. So here's what we can do. We can have a health care guarantee. If you're sick, you're seen. If you're seen, you don't go broke. To me, that's a public option, a government responsibility to have a wider plan that's affordable, accessible, and protects against pre-existing conditions charging you more. I don't want any more GoFundMe plans. We should not have a GoFundMe plan health care in the United States of America. But... As president, I want to challenge us to think beyond just coverage. What we do best as Americans is find the unfindable, solve the unsolvable, and cure the incurable. Instead of putting $1.6 trillion towards the wealthiest in the last tax cut, imagine if we invested a fraction of that in genomics research, in data sharing, and targeted therapies, and using innovation as a way to bring down the cost. Innovation as a way to extend the quality of life and innovation is a way to create a lot of new jobs, not in Washington, but across the country. I see this issue, and again, I want us to link, look forward on it and bring cures in our lifetime and a health care guarantee for every person. Okay. Forgive me, forgive me here, because your position on Medicare for All yeah. might confuse some members of the audience, because it sounds like you're trying to have it both yeah. ways. You're for Medicare for All, which, as it's written now, eliminates private health insurance, including employee insurance that I'm sure a lot of folks in the audience have, or union plans a lot of union members have. Uh, How can you support a plan that eliminates those things and say at the same time you're not going to get rid of them? I I think people should have choice. The Medicare for All bill that's been written, I I think I agree with 90% of it. I don't agree with the part that ultimately would get to a point where we don't have private health insurance. A lot of people who are in a union, they like their union plan. If you like that plan, you should be able to keep keep that plan. I think ingrained in our DNA is choice. People want to have choices, but they also expect that the government should offer an affordable plan if their employer is not providing. So you would negotiate a different Medicare for all proposal, in fact, to, to make it an option, a public option? As yes. Well. Okay. And in my plan, we would be able to negotiate for 
prescription drug costs, not just for the VA, but also for a Medicare for anyone plan. Have prescription drugs imported if they're safe and you can hold the manufacturers responsible. And put the Department of Justice mm -hmm. back to work to prosecute any anti-competitive practices that are bringing up the costs of prescription drugs. All right. Uh, our next... Our next question is with Courtney Taylor. She's a multimedia marketing strategist. Courtney, tell us what's on your mind today. Hi. Thanks for being here. Of course. Thanks, Courtney. Um, so you have strongly opposed the president's views on immigration. Um, seven children have now died as a result of the humanitarian crisis at our southern border. And um, many, too many families are still separated. Why isn't Congress doing more to ensure the health and safety of immigrants in U.S. custody? And more specifically, what is your role as a member of the House in finding a solution? Yeah. And then as the nominee, how will you help reach bipartisanship on immigration reform? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Courtney, for your question. It is, it, is a humanitarian, it is a humanitarian crisis. And in Congress, we are working right now to pass the DREAM Act. That is, that is one piece of what we can do to bring a certain fate for people who came here with their parents. We, I'm a co-sponsor of comprehensive immigration reform. But the real challenge here, what's so frustrating, I went to the San Diego uh, sector a couple weeks ago and a, a young border patrol agent showed me around and in a room half the size of this, I saw dozens of people and young kids crammed in there with no showers, no beds. They're wearing these space blankets. And what frustrates me is the person who's leading our country on this issue, he doesn't know those people. He doesn't know why they came here. He brings us showmanship when we need leadership. He goes and points at a wall and says that people who don't look like us are causing all of our problems. I would bring leadership. Leadership means you don't go to the border, you go beyond it. You understand that when a mother leaves Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador, goes a thousand plus miles without food, without water, without, little, without much clothing, and knowing that you may be separated, she must believe that that is better than where she's leaving. I would put forth... <laughs> leadership to me, Courtney, is having a Marshall Plan in that region, convening the presidents of Mexico and South American countries and all of us investing in security and economic opportunity so people can stay where they want to stay and put the resources also on the border in the short term. I'll bring leadership, no more showmanship. Uh -huh. Please stick around. Stick around, all of you. We're going to be right back with more of the Democratic Presidential Town Hall. Congressman Eric Swallow. After the break, more from CNN Town Halls and Debates. Stay tuned. Big welcome back to CNN Democratic Presidential Town Hall with Congressman Eric Swalwell uh, of California. I think a question on a lot of voters' minds is because a lot of folks have Democratic and Republican voters in their yeah. family, as do you. What is going to be your approach to winning over voters who supported Donald Trump in 2016? Yeah. Well, it's, I know why you work hard and what, do you, what you expect it to add up to. I'm not going to dismiss someone who just wanted higher wages, lower health care costs, and a brighter future. I'm going to be in Alabama in two weeks. I'm going to go to the places that I think have been neglected in the past. But I will dismiss, put me on that debate stage, and you can do that, ericswalwell.com, but put me on that debate stage, make me the nominee, and I will dismiss the person who has utterly failed to deliver for so many people who were counting on him. 
You said earlier that if you were the nominee, you would put into play states that were not previously in play for Democratic presidential candidates. Which states? Yeah, well, Indiana. We won Indiana in 2008. Iowa. Again, I, I was born there. I feel comfortable there. But you know, I, I went to Alabama a bunch during the midterms. And, and people there, they like when you show up. And they don't see us as the enemies of each other that mm -hmm. the president wants us to be. So uh, we just got to show up more. Right. Yeah. We're going to go back to the audience now. And Georgia. Uh, we're in Georgia. Uh, Tina Sarkar with us tonight. She's an attorney and a consultant. Tina. Good evening, Hi, Congressman. Tina. Women's reproductive rights are under attack in this country as my home state of Georgia yeah. and other states around the country try to undermine Roe v. Wade. Yeah. How will you ensure that a woman's right to autonomy over her own body and access to care is not determined by the state in which she lives? Yeah. Well, first, my wife and I really deeply believe that it's her body her choice, and that should be for every woman in America. Here's what I'll do as president. As president, I would only appoint justices who upheld the law, including the precedent that is Roe v. Wade. But I don't want us to aim so low that we just protect what so many women generations ago marched and worked really hard to make sure was there. I want us to repeal the Hyde Amendment that says that only a woman with private health care insurance can make that decision. But I also, I also want to tell every young man in America today, you have a duty and a responsibility right now to link arms with young women in America and make sure that we're all in this to make sure that a woman has a right to choose. It's her decision. The government is never a part of that right. That's a responsibility that young men have too right now. So find young women, march with them. On, on that topic, as folks here in Atlanta know very well, it's now become an economic issue because yeah. you, you have companies, particularly in film and television, a lot of films and television shows yeah. shot in the, in the Atlanta area. But you have Netflix, Disney, NBC Universal, Warner Media, which owns CNN. They've all warned they may halt business here yeah. uh, if that law does, goes into effect. I wonder, do you support that kind of economic boycott? Yeah, if that law goes into effect, I absolutely do. And CNN may have to move. There's a lot of young women who work at CNN yeah. to be affected. A lot of women in the audience tonight. Uh, we're going to go back to the, to, to the audience here. Next question from Kunaiki Lockett. He's an intellectual property attorney. Kunaiki. Good evening. Good evening, Representative. Yeah. Uh, many economists suggest that by as early as 2020, independent contractors and workers in the gig economy will represent up to 40% of the U.S. workforce. Many are advocating that we make federal employment benefits like disability and unemployment insurance, flexible spending accounts, health insurance and workers' comp insurance portable and tied to the individual rather than the, than the business. Uh, also, some billion-dollar corporations are proposing rules where they pay independent contractors and freelancers um, 90 days after they submit an invoice. Could you imagine being paid in September for work that you did last week? Yeah. How do we update federal labor laws to protect these, the rights of these workers, and how do we make employment benefits portable? Elect a president who understands the future of work. But thank you for your question. This is, this is something that so many workers are experiencing right now, which is that their employers are changing the nature of their employee contract, and that that means they don't have health care protections, they don't have retirement security, they don't have 
other benefits. Uh, and, and again, put a young president in the White House, experienced in Congress, but a young president in the White House who sees this change in the economy, and you'll have a voice for the future of work. So yes, I believe that first and foremost, having health care for all will protect independent contractors to make sure that they don't have to worry about where they're going to get their health care. Uh, second and foremost, I also believe that employers have a responsibility if you don't provide a pension to your employees to provide some retirement security. Retirement security in America used to be a three-legged stool. It was social security, it was an employer-provided pension, and it was personal savings. Social security is about to go insolvent by 2033. Fewer and fewer employers provide pensions and personal savings. Two-thirds of us have less than $1,000. I support a guaranteed savings account where if you don't provide a pension to your employees, like in the case you just described, employers contribute 1%, government contributes 1%, and employees put in 1%. So you have more retirement security in addition to making sure that we protect Social Security, raise the cap there so that it is solvent beyond 2033. All right, uh, our next question comes from Jessica Weinstein. She's a clinical social worker. She's also a volunteer for Pave It Blue. It's a grassroots organization uh, for women here in Metro Atlanta. Jessica. Hi, Congressman Smaltwall. The Anti-Defamation League reports near record levels of anti-Semitism in Georgia, as well as the U.S. What will you do to address anti-Semitism as well as other hate crimes? Uh, I will denounce anti-Semitism even if an anti-Semite praise me. That seems like something really easy to ask, but we can't even get that from the President of the United States. Leadership starts at the top. So denouncing anti-Semitism, firmly speaking out against it. Second and foremost, I will put at the Department of Justice a division to counter the extreme violent white nationalism in America. Put FBI agents and prosecutors on the path. Also, it comes and it starts with education. So funding through the Department of Education, programs in our schools, so our students at the earliest of age, ages learn to be more tolerant, more inclusive, and recognize that the beautiful thing about this country is that we all come from different places. So my case tonight to you on that issue is put a young father in the White House, experienced in Congress, connected to the way that you live and the reasons that you work hard, we fight insurance companies in my house. We pay expensive prescription drugs. We worry about our kids' safety when we send them to school. And we pay my student loan debts. Put a young, experienced president in the White House, and you'll have a voice on all of those issues that matter to you, too. Thank you. Don't go anywhere, anyone. We're going to be right back with more from CNN's presidential town hall with Congressman Eric Swalwell. After the break, more from CNN Town Halls and Debates. Stay tuned. A warm welcome back to everyone. We are live in Atlanta with Democratic presidential candidate, uh, Congressman Eric Swalwell, still with us tonight. We're going to go back to the audience. We're going to bring in Alicia Scarborough. She is the founder of a management consulting company. We should also note she's chief of staff to a member of the Georgia House of Representatives. Alicia. Hi, thank you for being here tonight. You You talk generally about immigration reform, but I'd like to know specifically with children being separated from their parents and now the sixth deceased or reported deceased child in ICE custody as president, what will you how will you ensure that this atrocity never happens again? I'll bring leadership 
rather than showmanship. We will never have a separation policy. We'll devote resources to the border so you can adjudicate, adjudicate refugee cases immediately. For the 12 million Americans who are living in the shadows and just working hard and want to contribute to our economy and be a part of this great American tapestry, we'll give them a pathway to citizenship. We'll pass the DREAM Act so that young people can have a certain fate. Yes, of course, we'll have security on our border, but we're the country that has its symbol as a Statue of Liberty. We're not going to have a border wall. Thank you. This is a story, of course, CNN has covered very closely. There are now a record 80,000 people in the, custom, in the custody of U.S. immigration authorities. Uh, that's, of course, a record. Uh, a watchdog report found just the facilities overflowing. One border facility meant to hold 125 people. It's got 900 people. Yeah. I've spoken on, on, on our broadcast to the, the chief of the Customs Border Patrol, and she's told me, listen, we want more resources from Congress to handle the problem today. Yeah. Why hasn't that help come yet? Well, we don't have a, a leader who can do that? I mean, this leader, look, he's negotiating a trade deal with Mexico and then all of a sudden throws immigration in the mix and it blows up the trade deal. I mean, that, that's what we have right now in Washington. We have a corrupt, childish president. A corrupt, childish president. And we should be real about that. Leadership can change that. But it doesn't matter how much we spend on the wall that he wants to build. If people don't believe that they're safe in their own countries, they're going to keep coming here. So but that's ta- why we have to look there. I'm talking about spending money on a wall. Yeah. I'm talking about spending money on detention facilities, for instance, so children can be taken care of, so you don't have, you know, yeah. nine times as many people in a facility yeah. as is meant to be there. So if the president came to us and said, I want to address the humanitarian issues there, only that, he's going to get as much support mm-hmm. as he needs. But again, he always mixes in his own childish vanity projects like this wall. And as long as he's going to do that, it's only going to make the problem worse. Okay. Let's go back to the audience. Amy Peskin, she's a music Hi. teacher. Amy. Um, what to... Hi. Hi, Amy. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what two regulations would you support to prevent another president and or campaign from breaking so many norms as the current one has? I think it needs to be codified yeah. at this point. Yeah. On the first day of my presidency, I will tell the attorney general to get rid of the policy that a president cannot be indicted. Also, I have, I have written legislation that would make it a crime if you benefit from a gift from a foreign national. Right now, the emoluments clause says you can't do it, but there's no penalty for it. There has to be a penalty for it. I'll tell you my earliest memory as a child in Western Iowa, my dad was a police chief. And I remember him and my mom talking one day about my dad getting fired. And... I was scared because I didn't know what it meant. I later learned that as the police chief, he had come to this town, he'd put a boys and girls club in, he'd started a Mothers Against Drunk Driving chapter. DUI arrests went from like four the year before he got there and like 40 the next year, not because they developed a drinking problem, he just enforced the law. And it all came to a head at the county fair. When my dad got a call from the fire chief saying, chief, I got a mayor and a council member parked in the fire lane and they won't move. What do you want me to do? My dad said, you got to treat him like everyone else. Ticket and tow him. And at the next council meeting, the mayor in an open meeting told my dad, if you don't reverse those tickets, I'm going to fire you. My dad held firm. He got fired. We packed up our little family. We moved out west. So whether you're the mayor of a small town in Algona, Iowa, or the president of the United States, as far as I'm concerned, no one is above the law. Let me ask you... 
2016, of course, we're well aware. You've worked on as part of the yeah. Intelligence Committee about yeah. Russian interference in, in the election. Should folks here be confident that the results of the 2020 election will be sound and not interfered with, even down to the vote counts, yeah. free from Russian interference? <laughs> folks, you know, folks here, especially in a city where leaders like John Lewis marched to make sure that we had that right to vote, they have to do what Dr. King called upon us to do. March on the ballot boxes. Overwhelm it so much that you can't deny the result. Because here's what Republicans want us to do. They want us, a way of suppression is to not do anything on election security and then have us all worried about whether the vote will be counted. That, that's a, a tactic of theirs. We're in a better position than we were two years ago because we can actually now fund election security where they took $350 million and brought it to zero. We're not going to let that happen again. But the best thing we can do is just overwhelm the ballot box. Our thanks to Congressman Eric Swalwell. Our thanks as well to the studio audience. You've been great to be here. And that concludes this episode of CNN Town Halls and Debates, your direct source to the people shaping your world. To make sure you're always a part of the conversation, subscribe on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. For even more updates, follow us on Twitter at CNN Podcasts. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.